Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. And I'm Steve McDonald, the host. I'm very excited today because today we have on as a guest, Fran Wilson. Fran has spent her entire career, 23 plus years in B2B tech marketing. You spent a lot of time at Red Hat. I think you joined when there was about 72 employees and exited when they were sold for over $4 billion to IBM. So we're going to talk all about go-to-market strategies and the five best practices for CMOs, B2B CMOs, and in terms of delivering a go-to-market strategy that has a tremendous amount of success. But if there's anything that I left out of there that maybe you could kind of round out a little bit about your background, let's start that way. Sure, sure. Um, well, as you mentioned, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Steve. Uh, I, I love to talk about go-to-market strategy. It's my passion. So um, any opportunity to do so is great. Um, I have spent my entire career in B2B uh, software and much of it at, at Red Hat. Um, you mentioned the early stage to exit. It was actually $4 billion in revenue at a $34 billion acquisition price by IBM. Um, but one of it, I think at the time it was the largest uh, technology acquisition, software acquisition um, in history. Um, it's since been one upped. But um, so over that uh, tenure at Red Hat, I really had the opportunity to to be exposed to um, a lot of the challenges of um, high growth companies and the expectations living into those, um, building in discipline and processes around, um, you know, how to craft good, strong go-to-market strategies. Um, we made some mistakes along the way. You know, you you have to be intentional. You have to be aligned. That's a key thing you're going to hear me say over and over again. Um, so it, it's really informed my thinking. And as I uh, decided I wanted to build again and left Red Hat in uh, 2021 after two years into the IBM acquisition, I've really become a student of that and tried to take my learnings and experiences um, with me in terms of helping other organizations uh, develop and execute a really effective go-to-market strategy. And by the way, it's not just marketing's job. It's a team sport. And I'll talk a little bit about that as well. Well, fantastic. And, and I think just kind of a backdrop on this too, is that a lot of the frameworks that you're talking about here, you have your opinion on, but are founded on frameworks from Forrester. Right. Um, obviously leading research analysts, you know, in the, in the industry. So mm -hmm. That's really good to know, but you have your own take on this, which is what I think we really want to get into here. Sure. So I'm going to let you start off with your first of the five go-to-market frameworks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is, for the most part, should be sequential. So I'll, I'll try to map it on a, a time continuum. Uh, but when you're starting out your fiscal planning process and building your go-to-market strategy and plan, I think one of the first principles I always try to adhere to, and this is difficult um, in, in organizations that have lots of smart people with lots of great ideas, but you really need to enumerate no more than five. I think it's three to five um, bets, growth bets that you're going to execute on in your in your fiscal planning um, and, and your execution. If you try to chase 10 or eight, it you're gonna you're gonna peanut butter everything and you're not gonna be able to execute. Uh, in big, meaningful, impactful ways, and and I've I've seen that movie, and I can assure you that uh, I think having that principle of no more than five, um, and larger companies may have some exceptions for good reasons, but uh, but I think that's the right sort of um, at least guidepost for your your first phase of your planning cycle. So that can take the form of geo expansion, ecosystem expansion, um, 
adding new segments and industries, uh, certainly product adjacencies, M&A activity. Those are all on the table, but you shouldn't try to chase them all at the same time um, in a given fiscal year. Um, so I think it's it's most important to really start with that. And then that helps to ensure alignment across the organization, particularly in the go-to-market functions, because if you have sales out chasing uh, new customer acquisition in Japan and marketing isn't resourced to support that growth bet that sales is chasing, you're going to have misalignment and you're going to have less than a successful outcome. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm talking about having those specific growth bets and then making sure that everybody is aligned to them because sales, marketing, product success have to be rowing in the same direction in terms of driving the growth. So that's really step one. And it sounds simple, but it's often not easy. Um, so make sure you have enough time to really hash those out and, and enumerate those to the organization. And then from there, um, it's really building out uh, the, the high level revenue plan. So you're starting with a, a revenue goal for the year and you back into the pipeline requirements. And from there, and this is where I really uh, lean into the Forrester frameworks, I like thinking about modeling your pipeline targets by opportunity type. And in the Forrester framework, there are four and they're pretty simple. Um, uh, it's customer acquisition, net new is the first one. Um, the second one is retention or renewal of existing customers. And you'll see my background in SaaS and subscription-based companies leading into this. Uh, the third is upsell. And for Red Hat, that was simply selling more of the same product to existing customers. Uh, and then cross-sell, selling adjacent new products into existing customers. So really, there's only one in that opportunity type framework that's net new. Um, and I think that's important to think about because it costs three times more uh, to acquire a new customer than to renew and cross-sell and upsell an existing customer. So that's why having your pipeline modeled to where those opportunities and ultimately revenue are going to come from is so important because it helps you be very prescriptive and efficient in allocating resources, dollars, and human beings' time. Um, and if you start to really you know, use this model and become sophisticated using data to drive, you know, what your at par renewal rates are over a three-year period, you can model this pretty, you know, pretty effectively. Um, so that really becomes your, you know, your model for marketing and sales for the organization and, and, and truly success too, because success plays a huge part in retention, cross-sell and upsell. Well, so, and one of the things that yeah. I was taking away from that was that it's so easy to have your focus as the CMO be 90, 95% focused on net new. Yes. Right. Yeah. And lots of times that's the, those are the priorities that are set, right? From the C-suite, from your, your CEO, sales constantly wants new targets to chase after, right? Compensation in the sales organization can be structured that way. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about alignment, you know, getting everybody on the same playing field basically to say, look, X percent of our revenue is going to come this next year. Our target, that's our bet, right? Is not necessarily all going to come from net new. Yes. It might be 50-50. It might even be less than that. That's that right. is a major shift in the mindset of what enablement strategies, marketing strategies need to be put into place. So you're starting from the right place instead of we better get new customers and that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah. Right? So 
it's a huge change in the shift. And then therefore the priorities of what you're going to do on a day to day basis. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. Yeah. That was and my takeaway. Is that, that a good spot on? And, and one of the things in more sophisticated modeling and organizations is you, you know, use this and apply it and get really good at it is it can really help in things like quota deployment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, being so prescriptive with your sales force about, you know, this percentage of your quota is going to come from net new. And this percentage is going to come from, you know, retention. Maybe you take renewals out of it and that's some, some other team's job and you've got a hunter sales force that it really helps align the sales and marketing organization so that um, it's a partnership and they're shared goals, you know, end to end. Um, and I, and I think thinking about those things very holistically, as opposed to, oh, so, you know, quota deployment is just sales operations and sales's job. It should be go to market's job, really, to right. think about that. Um, so that's really step two. And, and once that model is built, the next type that leans more into the next step that leans more into true marketing is aligning your demand type to those opportunities or your pipeline values. And, and specifically, I mean, uh, are you going to use account-based marketing as your demand type for a set of opportunities? Uh, at Red Hat, we used it very, very successfully for the bottom three. So being renewal, retention, upsell, and cross-sell. ABM was deployed entirely on new cu uh, existing customers, excuse me, not net new at Red Hat. And some companies use different approaches. Um, you can you can apply ABM to sort of what I call sort of nascent customers that have a very low um, contribution to revenue, but have huge upside potential, for example. So um being thoughtful about that and mapping your demand type to your pipeline values broken down by opportunity type um, gets you really, really efficient. Um, and it can help you, you know, deploy the right tactics, content mix, channels for the demand type that you've applied to those opportunities. And clearly, you know, your net new acquisition is going to cost the most money. Your existing customer ABM is going to cost the most calories, if you will you know, human time versus cash. Um, but thinking about those things together as levers um, and and your whole pot, how, mu how many human resources do you have to apply to the pipeline target and how much cash do you have um, really helps you get very prescriptive using this model. And that's why I've used it at all three companies where I've been a marketing leader. So you have a, a perspective on an ABM strategy mm -hmm. and when that gets applied and maybe when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And and uh, in terms of a net new ABM model, what is your perspective on that? So I think, you know, that in sort of the ABM Bible, uh, uh, Bev Burgess wrote some great books and I, I would recommend them to anybody who hasn't um, delved into her work, but she um, really thinks about ABM as a three-tiered framework. So you've got strategic or one-to-one -one ABM. Um, the definition there is very simple. It's one marketer to no more than five accounts. Could be one-to-one, -one, truly, one-to-three. We used those ratios at Red Hat very um, you know, holistically. Uh, the second tier is one-to-few, and, and that typically <laughs> could be one marketer to 20, 30, 40 accounts, but it's a cohort of like accounts. So we applied that approach for industry marketing when I was at Red Hat. And we built out the whole industry practice using that framework to support the demand and pipeline goals um, for industries. And then the last one is can be really applied, I think, most successfully of all three types 
to net new customer acquisition. And that's what we call one to many. Um, and again, it's it's really the the ABM aspect of that is having common use cases, business problems in a cohort of accounts. And it could be two or three, four hundred, um, maybe more than that. But you're you're basically using the same buyer's journey and channels and digital. So it's it's really looking at um still a very targeted, you know, approach, but rather than, you know, casting it out to hundreds of thousands of prospective right. customers and hoping for some outcome. And uh, my boss, our CMO at Red Hat, um, used to say, let's do spear fishing instead of net fishing. And I think that's um, really, really a wonderful way to think about it. Um, because if you're using predictive analytics um, and all the data models that you can bring to bear to look at intent, um, and there's great technology to do that um, in, in available to everybody now, then you can be very targeted. Um, and so um, marketing, demand marketing starts to become more ABM-like, even at scale. That makes good sense. And so the analogy there of spearfishing, because we have to get over the mentality of we don't want to miss opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to cast that wide, stop casting that wide net because we're going to lose opportunities. But what you're saying is even in a one-to-many model, it's still very targeted. It like the, the personas are targeted, the problem identification is targeted, the solution is targeted, right? And your whole approach to building content and developing an expertise as a trusted advisor for that group, it has to be. So in all three levels of those ABM models, there's nothing in there that isn't very highly targeted, just applied in different ways. That's exactly right. And it all goes down to a very simple mantra, which is apply the right message to the right account at the right time. And you can do that in a in a you know one-to-many approach. Um, but if you're not looking at signals from the accounts, you're just spraying and praying and hope that you know the right message hits the right account just sort of opportunistically or, you know. Fortuitously, and uh, and and I think there's a much better way um, because you're wasting a lot of time and money if you're uh, not looking at which accounts are in market um, and then applying the right message at that time. So please continue on. I didn't want to derail yeah. you there. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so step four, again, seems obvious, but it's often overlooked, um, which is establishing SMART goals for the entire marketing organization. And these are specific to marketing. Um, and I like to... Uh, think about maybe three, four, five goals for each of the um, so, sort of functional areas of, of marketing. So awareness, reputation, again, these are the program families in the longstanding series decisions or Forrester framework, um, demand, and their specific uh, demand goals that you should enumerate, uh, engagement, and those really speak to that customer marketing um, level and and uh, looking at MPS scores, marketing contributes there, looking at customer advocacy, participation, community uh, growth, all of those are great, um, very specific things that you can measure um, in terms of marketing goals. And then the last one is, um, is really enablement. And that can be left off if marketing really doesn't play a big role. But typically, I think in B2B, certainly enterprise software companies, marketing plays a critical role in terms of enabling um, the sales force, the partners, uh, all, all of the go-to-market functions and extensions of that. So when you talk about enablement, 
what's the most important part of enablement? Because that's a broad category, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the one where all the friction lies, like, you know, between marketing and sales and, you know, is sales truly looking at marketing as helping enable them to do what they need to do and that success. Yeah. So like in terms of that kind of a category of enablement, what is the most important when I understand the smart goals and having those and having those defined, Mm -hmm. but when you get into enablement, what are some of the things that are the most important to you? Well, I think from a marketing perspective, it's content. And um, if you, if your sellers don't know and have hopefully contributed to the buyer's journeys you're building um, that are touching their customers and their prospects, that's a huge missed opportunity. Um, So you know, making sure that the buyer's journey built within marketing and product and success is, you know, the sellers are fully aware, the partners are fully aware, and there's consistency in messaging. So, um, you know, content is at the sort of centerpiece of that um, and making sure that sellers are also activating engagement from a marketing perspective. Social Mm -hmm. media is a great example. Um, There was this seller at Microsoft um, who was I was introduced to uh, from a former colleague um, and he, he, he's, he's just an incredible thought leader in, in his, not just in his organization. He has this huge following on LinkedIn um, and he talks about his approach with customers and his, he's just, he's one of the most articulate, empathetic sellers I've ever met. And, um, and you can activate people like that inside your organization uh, to, to really, um, foster sharing and best practices um, and and mentoring, you know, so um, you need to get creative in, in how you're going about that. And, um, you know, that was a, a great example um, that, that I was exposed to. So um, making sure that marketing and sales are all singing from the same hymn book or reading right. from the same playbook, you right. got, you got to have that consistency. So, you answered that question first by talking about content mm-hmm. is the key to enablement. If I was going to ask you a question about just the overall importance of content to the the growth and the overall success of the company, on a scale of one to 10, one, not important at all. 10, it's vital to the growth and success of the company. Where would you put it on that scale and why? I would I would put it as a 10. And, and let me just qualify that by saying content is not just something that's coming out of marketing. Um, I'll give you a really tangible example. At Riskified, we had an extraordinary capability around data science. I mean, it was the it was mm-hmm. the the DNA of the platform, and we were trying to brainstorm about um, more innovative, creative, differentiated ways to engage our customers and prospects using that capability. So we introduced the concept of data um, that was account-based data science, if you will. And and Mm -hmm. the output were were content pieces, sometimes taking the form of presentations that showed a given client what their risk um, rating was in terms of an attack. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It could also take the form of what is your cohort of industry like accounts you know, what are they seeing in terms of fraud? Um, it helped in prediction. It was very, very bespoke. It was very account specific and it was incredibly sticky. Um, so, you know, you've got to think about content in a very sort of holistic way, not just it's a white paper or an ebook or a video. Um, think about 
what your sort of natural capabilities, your your best in class capabilities are as an organization and bring that to bear in the way you're messaging and, and producing content. I think it's very powerful. Well, and I love that, right? Because we're all in the day and age of digital transformation now. Mm-hmm. So every business, whether you're a SaaS business or not, you're data-driven, right? Yeah. And you have data across your entire client base, right? Where each client has this much data. And they may not even be good at looking at that much data. Mm-hmm. But you have benchmarks. You have phenomenal stories to tell from the data that you have, right? That, like you're saying here, lends insights, benchmarks, all kinds of things, but it's a form. It is a um, a, a never-ending flow of incredible content that helps establish you because you're the only one that can deliver it mm-hmm. first and foremost, right? But help establish you as a leader, as an expert, as a trusted advisor in the industry because That's you're right. bringing this knowledge to That's them. right. I love that. I love that. I want to have time to get to the fifth area. Yes. Please explain to that. that. Sure. Um, Again, this, this may seem obvious, but it's a step that's often overlooked. And more importantly, it's often not aligned. So the last one is, how is marketing going to measure and report on their performance? And uh, that this is different from smart goals. And sometimes people get those mixed up, but, uh, key performance indicators that are enumerated ideally in a corporate dashboard for marketing are really, really important because again, it's a team sport. And so um, I I also lean into Forrester's recommendations for B2B, particularly software companies uh, in this regard, because I'm not a fan of MQL, SQL, throw it over the wall and hope for the best. Um, I think that's a very antiquated way to measure marketing performance. I think marketing sourced is also something we should throw out the window, at least when you're talking about, you know, SaaS and, and, you know, buying group based technology purchases. It's just not a relevant measure. It doesn't tell you much um, really. And I think it can often lead to um, the, the misalignment or dysfunction between sales and marketing and the business development team, if it's there in, in between those two functions, uh, because people don't have shared, you know, aligned KPIs and, and the pipeline and the funnel is owned by sales and marketing and success. It is not, you know, simply one function's job or the other. Um, so I, I really like thinking about um, the targeted to, in, you know, the targeted um, rate of engagement. Um, how, how are you, how many touches are you, you know, in a given opportunity? And again, Forrester has some great ways to measure an opportunity object and how many times it is touched. That opportunity is touched by sales, by marketing, by success. Um, it's very, very powerful. We modeled this at Red Hat, um, probably it was around two, 2019, perhaps, in one of our largest accounts. I can't say which one, but there were 782 touches in a, a very strategic sale that yielded a $32 million contract at the end of the year. But just you, you think about, it takes a lot of time uh, to measure that, but if you've got really good analytics and you've got your MarTech stack set up um, to attach those touches, um, that becomes really, really meaningful. Um, and you can then start to project a minimum threshold of engagement um, and and start you know to really measure things from there. Um, and so it's, it becomes about meaningful measures, not, oh, I touched it first, so that <laughs> my job here is done. Right, right. Because uh, we like to say, because we have 
jobs that we like to keep that mm-hmm. that marketing touches are very important and they are yeah but to the buyer it's a touch from that company that's right they're not looking at it as oh good i got another marketing touch oh here's a sales touch right these are just all added value experiences and touch points that are helping them make their decision right that's exactly so it's one right. team effort alignment and then that attribution on those touches as well i think that's yeah. really really smart yeah and i think any any marketing organization that isn't comfortable owning the pipeline sufficient pipeline target needs to get comfortable with that you know, because it's not sales's job. It is marketing and sales's job together. And I always say to my CRO, you're my customer and my partner, and we own that pipeline together. Um, and it's it's really true. And and I think if you start from that sort of first principle, it, um, it helps drive that alignment, even when things are a little rough. <laughs> well, we always have those, right? There's a lot that we do, right? So there's a lot of opinions. There's going to be rough spots. But what you're talking about is a foundation of just having, I'm sure as a CRO, I've never been a CRO, but having my CMO counterpart say, I want to help and own that pipeline, mm-hmm. right? That comes as comfort, right? That's aid, that's support, that's enablement. Yeah. So We've talked a lot here, Fran, a lot of different things. And I know I've been taking notes, but everybody in the audience has been taking notes. But if you could kind of boil this down and say, of everything we've talked about, what is the most important takeaway that we should be having from this? What would that be? Well, if I may, I might offer two. Um, But one is really thinking, you know, I started with the pick your growth bets, but I think you really need to consider your growth goals um, as an organization in light of external factors as well as internal factors. And so I'll give you a, a really tangible example of, of why this matters. In in times of, in my experience, in times of economic headwinds, uncertainty, whatever you want to call, we might be experiencing right now, for example, uh, it is always important to consider how much growth you'd like to yield from your existing customer base. Um, and this is why customer marketing to me is, is just a real focus area, um, sort of full end-to-end customer marketing um, for multiple reasons. Marketing budgets get cut when um, there's uncertainty, right? Um, it is, as we have already discussed, it's much cheaper to sell to your existing customers. It's also a much better customer experience to focus on them as, you know, sort of the cornerstone or or tip of the spear for your go-to-market strategy. Um, they become very powerful advocates. I think some of the best uh, marketing assets are those um, spoken through the voice of the customer. Yep. Um, going back to going back to content. So that's one. Really think about that that mix of you know net new versus customer. Um, growth in terms of how you're going to get to the ultimate revenue goal. Um, and then and then the second is is really that alignment, you know, and I've talked about it over and over and over again. But if you don't have those four pillars, success, product, marketing, sales, aligned to one go-to-market strategy and, and how you're going to get there, um, things can really break down. And uh, and it I think the stress of of not having that alignment compounds itself when you're in times of economic uncertainty. I love it. I love the the very first part of what you said there is this this focus instead of all net new, but a significant amount of focus on existing customers. And with that focus 
comes learning, right? We, we all have to constantly be in touch with our customers and thinking about how do we meet their needs? How do we grow that relationship? What does it take to do that? How are the you know, emerging problems that they're trying to solve? As soon as we stop doing that, because we have our, our site set on the net new, is when we stop learning. That's right. right? So- Words of wisdom, Brianne, thank you so much for coming <laughs> yeah. on here. If people had follow-on uh, questions, would would LinkedIn, a link over to your profile there, be a great place Perfect. to get a hold of you? Absolutely, yes. That's great. Okay, well, thank you again for coming on and sharing all of this. I know yeah. this could have been a three-hour teaching session, <laughs> uh, but thank you for condensing it and giving it the insights that you did. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity.